Perverts, hopeless romantics, gender deviants, queer revolutionaries. Welcome to the Perverts Podcast. Tonight we'll be uncovering perversions and persuasions of times gone by. I'm mulling these over with our historian and a few friends from the cabaret scene. I've asked them to select an item from various queer archives and join me at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern to chat these through and share a brand new piece of cabaret, especially created in response to the artefact, for your ears only. This is the Perverts Podcast. Now the history of normal people's really nice and ever a But let's chat about something a bit more interesting. Hello world, here I am. I'm a bouncy little lamb and I say bam. Yes, I'm a pervert. You say I'm tossed and apart like a pickle in your jam and I say bam. Yes, I'm a pervert. Another queer city joy packed in every milligram and I say bam, bam, bam. Yes, I'm a pervert. It's the Pervert's Podcast. I am artist, writer and director Leo Skilbeck and co-founder of queer performance company Milk Presents. I'm fascinated by what has been considered perverted throughout history and why. If you want to know more about me, Milk and the ins and outs of why we made this show, then check out episode zero. But for now, let's slip into something a little more comfortable and make our way to the RVT. One hundred and fifty-eight years old, give or take. Giving it, taking it, she's seen it all. A majesty in her own league. At ease in her incongruity. In the way she doesn't mind sticking out. Those eyes blinking, her lashes flashing a wink to the queers who chance to look up from the masses who pass by these crossroads. At Vauxhall. Welcome out of the cold and through these doors into the bosom of the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. My name is Leo and I am your host, your confidant and all-round fanboy of tonight's guest. Tonight you'll find me sipping an amaretto sour, complete with two round delicious cherries. I'm wearing a close-fitting tuxedo, tailored tightly to my transmasculine hips, and a pastel orange rose pinned to my lapel, miraculously still in bloom in the depths of winter. I'm joined on stage here with the ultimate don of queer curation, EJ Scott. Hello, everyone. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me, Leo. Thank you so much for coming and joining me on the podcast. Now, when I first rang you, I rang you up and I said, EJ, I've admired you at a distance from afar for some time now, which on reflection is a bit creepy. (laughs) Um, I've admired you from afar. Come join me on the Perverts podcast. Uh, Which, yeah, a little bit creepy, but you decided to come anyway. 
you're here. And I feel, I feel like I'm at home. I'm in the RVT. I, I pretty much don't leave this place. Oh, so you've actually been staying here for a few days. You, you know, we had to wake, wake him up from backstage, go on stage. So glad that you are here. And can you tell me, what are you wearing? I, I put on for you today mm -hmm. especially my pale pink boiler suit. Mm -hmm. Underneath I have my pale pink jock strap. <laughs> and actually what I want to tell you about is my really rare 1977 mm. Seditionaries T-shirt that has a Jamie Reed illustration on the front of it. Oh, he wow. was a, a, a queer, he was, you know, queer skinhead in the scene in the 70s. And on, he, because he was queer and he designed it for Westwood and Malcolm mm -hmm. McLaren, on the little label here, do you want to have a readout of what it says? For soldiers, prostitutes, dykes, punks. Amazing. So it was actually a T-shirt yeah. that Seditionaries was the shop in London. Um, Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood changed the name of their shop often, but it was originally SEX Sex, and of course mm. that's what the Sex Pistols were named after. Really? Oh my God. Well, thank you so much for wearing that and joining us. And what are you drinking? I am drinking a bottle of Not Just a Phase Pale Ale mm -hmm. that's brewed by Lily White, <laughs> who founded Queer Brewery here in London. Wow. And, and yeah. not only did she help us, I know, right? All the, all the profits that are raised go to queer charities. And Lily's not just a brewer and an award-winning beer writer, she's also a ceramicist and an artist, and she helped us set up one of our most important Museum of Transology exhibitions at London College of Fashion. So we wow. love Lily and we love Queer Brewery. What a great choice of drink for this evening. Thank you so much. So EJ is a queer curator, a curator of queer history, and last year was the recipient of the UK's Activism Museum Award. Very fancy. Uh, he has worked on lots of projects right around the country, from the West Yorkshire Queer Stories Project to producing the Tate's annual Queer and Now programme. But his heart really belongs to the Museum of Transology that he founded in 2014. With hundreds of trans, non-binary and intersex contributors, it's now thought to be the largest collection of material culture relating to trans lives anywhere in the world. And this museum really ensures that our lives are written by us in our own words, on our own terms, and kind of ensures that we can't be written out of history, you know. Yeah, I think that what's really powerful about it is that everyone who's chosen to put an object into the collection has been the curator of their own gender story, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so they, there's no rules whatever you give to the Museum of Transology gets in. There's no hierarchy mm. of importance. So a lot of the objects are actually everyday objects, but they're extraordinary because of how much they mean to the person and the stories that they tell. And attached to the objects is a little brown tag and everyone writes, handwrites their stories on the tag about mm. why it's important to them. And why did you want to create it? Like, what made you think, yeah, I want to make this museum? Well, I mean, we've, we've seen a spike in trans visibility since, since I've, I, you know, about the mid to 2014, 2015. Um, there was this spike in visibility, but what we saw was that the media was talking about us, not with us, that we were 
um, criminalized, you know, using the Vagrancy Act, that, that we were spectacularized, that our bodies were displayed as weapons against us, you know, and this idea of, of having to pass as cisgendered, which, you know, means that if you don't, you fail. Um, these, these kind of ideas were growing in momentum just as the, the visibility was at the same time. And I felt very passionate about ensuring actually that we found a space to halt the erasure of our stories that has happened previously to cut us out because we haven't been important enough to collect, right? But also that moving forward in 100 years' time, we would have those voices preserved, our own words. And this, I just felt really, really passionate about using this moment in history to stop our erasure but ensure that we were here in the future on our own terms. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. And thank you for making it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of the most incredible mm. things. It's really interesting to see that even though we had been written out of history, trans people had been collecting their own mementos of their gendered mm. journeys themselves. And so as soon as we said, here, here's a museum, here's a project, they were, here, take this, take this, take this. So the pleasure has literally been all mine. Yeah, amazing. And it makes me think like, in, you know, 100, 200 years, we'll be long gone and then all of those things will still be there and then people, like, can go and find them and see them and enjoy them and know that, like, we were here and it happened and, yeah, rather than us, like, now having to look in the past and, and find people and search and actually it will all be there for them in a few hundred years yeah, this, still. This idea that we're not allowed to call trans people trans in the past, which robs us of a language to be able to talk about our people when we recognise them, um, it's not one against the other. It's not lesbian against trans. Gender and identity and sexuality is far more complex than that. But moving forward, people have called themselves trans on the tags and the museums about transness and, and different kinds of body and gender identities. So I think that, you know, moving forward, we really can, you know, be confident that we'll be able to say trans people were trans in the past. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. All right, let's welcome to the stage our guest for the evening, a true legend, singer, actress, writer, cabaret icon, and someone I'm proud to call a friend. Drum roll, please, from the audience. Thank you for Miss Kimberly. That was a lovely introduction. Thank you, Leo. And well, actually, Anne Lula is also joining us on stage. Yeah, she is. Yeah. If you can hear throughout this little pit-patter of little cute paws and a lead, it is little Lula around the stage, who we are... Absolutely delighted to have on stage with us. Um, so could you begin by telling us what you're wearing and what you're drinking? Ooh, what am I wearing? Oh, some cheap old get-up I got at Primark. <laughs> no. um, it's a vintage fake fur coat because um, it's freezing outside. Even though I'm wearing it on stage, I'm still cold. And, um, do you know, there was a performer back in the uh, 90s who used to perform... Um, 
uh, a cis woman. She had a group. Um, as I'm talking about her, I'm trying to remember the name of the group, so I'm going to keep on rambling. You just keep on going. You're doing really well. Just keep talking. <laughs> anyway, she had this group, and, and she had a mother who was an opera singer, and she would just give me clothes, oh, you know? Really so well. this is, it's, I mean, it's falling apart, but, um, you know, mm. <laughs> it was just easy to put on this it's morning. It's beautiful. Can you describe you. it to us? Yeah, what well, it's it sequenced. It's like a sequenced um, long cloak, mm-hmm. and... Um, that's what I have on, on front. And then I have this uh, little uh, gold top that was given to me by my drag daughter, Raven mm-hmm. Mandela. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I begged her for it, so and I finally got it. So. And it's yours now. <laughs> and what are you drinking? I am drinking a glass of good old Thames water. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Absolutely great. My drinking days are long <laughs> gone. Lord knows I've drunk a lot of bars dry. <laughs> <laughs> and we've uh, we've worked together a little bit, haven't we? We've worked on a panto, on cabaret shows, chatting on the phone. And I always love your work and what you do. And I'm just so pleased and thrilled to have you on the show. It's a total pleasure to have you thank join you. us. So thank but you, But you're Kim. trying to say I've been around the block a few times. No, That's I'm what not you're trying, trying to say, say that are you? I, I love it when, you know, when I call you, you go... Hi, Kim. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, Kim, how's it going? Hey, Kim. I love no, that. My voice is a bit lower than that. It's more oh, like, right, hey, that's Kim, me. Like that, hey, yeah. Okay, yeah, you're like, hey, Kim. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's, sorry, sorry. Give, give you're a, right, you're right. Give me a couple of years. <laughs> oh, but you sound adorable. I love it. <laughs> so it's now like, we've all met each other. Shall we meet the real yeah. star of the show? It's the early 90s red dress. Oh, my God, that red dress. Before I go, before we go into about the red dress, I just want to say to uh, EJ, thank you so much for everything you're doing. I think it's absolutely amazing. I really appreciate it. You're too kind. Yeah, because when I'm dead and gone, I'll, <laughs> still, still, be here, baby. I'll still be remembered. It's <laughs> actually, actually, forget all the trans right stuff. It's actually a vanity brief. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> Um, I'll be the Marilyn of the trans. <laughs> Wishful thinking. So, so this episode is mm. really special because this is a dress from the Museum of Transology, founded by EJ, as we said. And you, Kim, kindly donated this dress, your dress, to the museum. Yeah. yeah. It was my the first dress mm-hmm. I ever bought as uh-huh. well. Um, I, I used to go to a, a theater school in New York and... Um, I bought this dress, and it, I called it a James Bond dress. It had that James Bond. Dun, 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 yeah, it had that dun, dun, feeling dun, dun, dun. to it. And it's so funny now because when, I, when I, I, I brought the dress to you, I could barely get the dress around my, my, my thighs now. It's, a, it's amazing. <laughs> I bought this dress, and I'll never, ever forget. This is the time I realized that uh, I, I realized that I was sexy and I had this sex appeal. I, I had no idea. I was very young and I'll never forget I was going to a nightclub. I think it was the tunnel. Yeah, it was the tunnel in uh, New York. And um, I was walking down the street, you know, just minding my own business, just, you know, not even thinking about mm-hmm. it. And I got so many whistles and so many, like, you know, the horns honking and thing like that. My makeup was a bastard because I didn't know how to do any makeup back then. And I got to the club and men asked me to dance and I was just blown away. I did not realize. I had no idea that I, I was a 
attractive. No idea. Oh, it, what did it feel like? What did it feel it, like to wear it? What I was well, what it felt like. To, I felt good to wear it because I felt I looked really cool in mm-hmm. it. You know, when you know when you're young and you get a little something, and <laughs> you know, you just feel really cool. You know, but all the attention I got, um, it made me feel a little bit intimidated. I, I was because I was, I was a little bit vulnerable. You know, I I I, mm-hmm. I, I can't say that. Um, I really like lapped it up and really enjoyed it because it was a new experience for me. But the dress I bought from um, these queer designers in uh, mm-hmm. Soho in New York, and um, I'll never forget the guy. I bought a few things for him. I bought this biker jacket that was like really cut, really short. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was just really rock and roll. And, and sometimes I would see him out in the clubs, you know, and he would just like, you know, having a biker jacket and, and some jeans and a pair of heels. And I used to be blown away. I used to think, oh, my God, you are so cool. <laughs> and can you describe the dress for yes. us? What does, it, what does it look like? What does it smell like and feel like? It smells like shit now. But... <laughs> <laughs> okay, what does it look like and feel like? Well, it, you know, it, it's, it's red. And like I said, it was like this little James Bond dress. It had like these little spaghetti straps that have broken off by now and it had like you know um you know just covered over the tits and um it was really short it had a little split in the back and it was like it was kind of like a i want to not so much like a shimmy but it gave you that feeling of a little shimmy you know just and you were in new york right when you wore this I yeah. was, yeah. yeah. I was like really young. I was twelve. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're we're talking about the early 90s, 1990s, New York, London. EJ, what do we know about that time? Can you give us a little taste? I, I think it's probably fair to say that it was a time of both like party and protest. Mm-hmm. Here in the UK, of course, in nineteen what eighty eight. Margaret Thatcher brought in the Section 28, which made it illegal to promote homosexuality, Mm -hmm. which basically meant all our libraries were raided so that anything that had queer content in it was taken out. Teachers weren't allowed to be gay at school or talk about being gay. We're coming into, you know, late 80s, right through the 90s, into the height of the AIDS pandemic, right? And so I think you see this incredible burst in, in visibility and action as the community standing up and defending itself in a time of tragedy. In 1990, you've got the first gay pride in Manchester, for example. Um, and, and then on the other side of it, you've got the, the desperate homophobia and, and misinformation that's being circulated, uh, particularly around the gay male community. And, you know, it, it was a time when the communities were coming together because so many lesbians nursed so many gay men through through this tragic period. And you see people like Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Kenny Everett and Derek Jarman all, all coming out saying that they have AIDS. And, and then, of course, Freddie Mercury in 1991 says that, announces to the media that he's got AIDS and he dies the very next day. And I think it's probably worth remembering Freddie because, of course, in the mid-'80s, here at the RVT, mm-hmm. he snuck in Princess Di in drag. Yes, amazing. <laughs> and also, what was amazing is none of the media recognised Princess Di because they were more interested in Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. And we're, like, here on the stage. Where they Where were. that happened. Yeah, amazing. You know, when you're talking, it actually makes my 
heart kind of feel heavy, like in a way, especially thinking about Section 28 and also all of the people impacted by AIDS in that whole time. And also I'm interested in when you say there was huge brightness as well at that time, huge creativity. Um, Kim, what was it like for you at the time? Like, were you out on the queer scene or what I was the queer born. scene like? <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. You're, not, you're not, uh, not old enough to know anything about that I have time. no idea what you're talking about. If, if, what's that? If you, you know, <laughs> hypothetically speaking, if you did happen to be around at that from time. From what I heard. Yeah, from what yeah. you heard, yeah, yeah. No, it was a very sad time indeed, you know. Um, you know, I had this really crazy moment. You know, I was kicked out of my home and I ended up living with my grandparents for a while and I was hanging out like I was like you know very young and you know I came home um you know late one well every Saturday night I would get home late and I'll never forget my grandmother who was really hard cow she came to my room and she's like get up get up get up you're out all night you're gonna bring AIDS in this house and I was just like you know, because you're really young and, you know, AIDS is just coming out. You don't know, really know that much about it. And it just really blew me away. Mm-hmm. You know, people were really scared about uh, uh, about AIDS. And for, for me to have my grandmother think that I'm actually going to go out and deliberately bring this disease back into the house, you know, people were... Um, I can remember there was one person who threw up in a department store and... Um, <sighs> You know, people were running, running because um, this person, apparently they knew he was sick. I don't know if they knew he had AIDS, but, you know, it was like like COVID. You know, when you when you see someone with COVID, you know, we're all keeping a distance, you know, mm-hmm. trying not to catch. And that's the way it was in the 80s. And, I, and I, I remember I went from funeral to funeral to funeral to funeral to funeral. And I can remember being at a, fr- a funeral once and finding out that actually someone else died and the funeral hadn't even started yet. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. And, and everyone was, and there was the, the huge movement of protest as well. So there was ACT UP, the AIDS Coalition yes. to Unleash Power. And there was, you know, this rise in, in pride being a protest, you know. Mm-hmm. that's It's yeah. really rooted in this period. And yeah. I, I don't think we've seen a campaign so organised with misinformation as its weapon against the queer community, you know, we, we just haven't seen that until recently with what's going on with the trans community. You it's know? quite interesting how the government really never um, invested um, money into it like they did with COVID. It was quite interesting. I'll never forget in America, you know, Ronald Reagan was in power and it didn't take until his wife's good friend, Rock Hudson, for them to actually take note from, you know, after Rock Hudson died. And that's when they actually really started to take note. Yeah, and that's what was so incredible about, I think that's why Lady Di sort of, you know, Princess Di stole the hearts of the queer community mm-hmm. because she went into a hospital and touched a guy that was dying. That's right, of AIDS she did. And was yes. photographed doing that yeah. and had the confidence to yes. fight against that misinformation and uh-huh. stand up as a public figure. And you had Liz Taylor as well, who was yeah. a huge advocate for the queer community. Thank you. And thank you for sharing all of that with us. Yeah, thanks for chatting all of that through. Um, We're also really focusing on the the dress and your dress. What was fashion like at the time? What was, you know, what did people wear? What were people wearing out in the clubs? As well as all of this happening in the background. Oh my God, you're making me seem like I'm 100 years old. (laughs) That's a question to EJ as well. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's to you. <laughs> <laughs> or how did uh, queer fashion and queer culture like intersect? Well, I mean, you're coming out of the Blitz kids, so there's there's Boy George and and, and Lee Bowery in the '80s. So this extraordinarily extravagant, heavily makeup sort of look in the '80s. Mm-hmm. But coming into the '90s, you've got Madonna's Vogue ripping off the black trans queer culture, a ballroom culture in New York, and and perpetuating that. But she's appearing in this high-end couture by Jean-Paul Gaultier with the cone bras, right? And and so there's that level of glamour at one end, and you've got KD Lang in in the mid '90s appearing with Cindy Crawford, the supermodel, on the front cover of Vanity Fair. So it was that really, really, really sharp move towards glamour and lipstick lesbian looks. But as well, I guess, as is always the case with queer culture and fashion, we create and lead a lot of this. So there's a real culture around the DIY adaptation of clothes. And in fact, your dress, Ms. Kim, has... Right, so it's a little, a little red mini dress. And it's got... The, it's the one in the Museum of Transology. And all up the front, all over the bust, are hand-sewn yes. buttons as decoration, right? And it really, like, it really... There's hours of love and labour that's gone into that. Yes. That wasn't that wasn't there when I uh, when I originally bought it. So a friend actually because he revamped the dress because exactly. I had it I had it for so long, you know. But, but so. herein lies queer culture, right? And and I think what's really interesting about that we now see huge museums like the V&A do massive fashion exhibitions, right? But in actual fact, because we crafted our own fashions, it was never actually perceived to be good enough to collect. And so there's an erasure of, of some of that queer culture in the long-term archives that museums are only just now starting to address retrospectively. Because when you think about what do you collect from the queer community? You collect badges, mm-hmm. you collect political T-shirts, right? Mm-hmm. All these kind of street culture wear and artefacts which, you know, don't really match the level of, you know, the fancy silverware in the V&A and those kind of things. And so it's been about us saving our cultures and us saving our artefacts and us Mm -hmm. looking after our badge and flyer collections, which again brings us back to the Museum of Transology. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what people have donated, little precious things that Mm -hmm. the V&A never would have collected but that are actually so beautiful Mm -hmm. and precious. And people write their own labels, don't they, as well? Yeah, and so I, I think that's really how you know how precious they are. There's a, a lipstick in the collection that, you know, it's not Chanel. It would have been bought from Boots, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really scratched up exactly. And it's kicked around in a handbag for ages because you can see it's a bit melted and it's covered in scratches. And the label that's attached next to it says, this is the first lipstick that my sister gave me that was the first person to accept me. And, and my gender, and it's just like, oh, my God, you're killing me right now. And that's what makes it so precious. It's not about how much it's worth or anything like that or how other people perceive it or the value that they put on it. It's like, this is precious and this is what we're archiving and this is what we're keeping. Yeah, I love that so much. Um, one thing I finally wanted to ask you, Kim, is about being the queen of heaven. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What did it involve? What was it? What did it mean at the time? Oh. 
Well, first of all, I never consider myself the queen. Um, that people, I'm, okay, I'm people calling call, you the queen. People call me that, but I, I, I was just a good time girl. Just having a good time. <laughs> you know, it's really funny because I was in the cabaret at Madame Jojo's and then they fired me. And then the same night, I just went down to um, uh, heaven to uh, dry my, uh, what am I trying to say? You know, cry yourself. Dry your tears. Dry, dry my tears. Yes, we'll go yeah. with that. Dry my tears. Yeah, we'll go with that. And um, the uh, manager, the uh, came up to me and said, would you like to host uh, heaven? And I said, yeah, but um, I was actually off to Russia. Okay. You were off to Russia. I I went to live in Russia for a little Uh while. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah, I was um, on tour with a theater company. And uh, I was in Moscow, St. Petersburg, uh, Varanish, and a place called Lipix, where they had no black people. <laughs> Literally walk in the streets, and everyone was just like... <gasps> and also, I used to have blonde hair as well, so that really fucked them up even more. It was the blonde hair, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I came back. I'll never forget. I came back from Russia, because I wasn't there long. And RuPaul was performing, and mm-hmm. that's the night I started. I'll never forget going to the dressing room. <laughs> Open the dressing room door, and I had on hot pants, and Rue had on hot pants, and the only thing she could say to me was, oh, hot pants. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) But I changed my hair to a red wig, and she continued to wear blonde, so I thought, I'm not going to do that, you know, Mm -hmm, show up with mm -hmm. a platinum blonde, you know. I thought, I have a little bit of respect. So anyway, going back to the question you were asking me, um, do you know... um, yeah, I hosted the night. I was only hired to host the night. You know, just get drunk and just, you know, talk to people. But David just let me basically do what I wanted to do. So I started putting on shows and, um, you know, I did like, I, I used to even write my own press releases. Can you believe that? I really was like really serious. And they saw what a hard worker I was. So, you know, the, we started this night called The Powder Room. It was a huge success. You know, we used to have like Goldie Hawn used to come in. Fucking Goldie Hawn. You know, Grace Jones used to come, you know. And of course, you know, we had loads of other little celebrities as well, which is really cool. And so I started hosting Saturday Night. And Saturday Night was like really men only. But I said to them, well, you know, it's great you want me here, but I can't really host, you know, uh, this room if you're not going to let women in, you know. So... They changed the policy, and it was even more of a huge success. It was a great time, you know, in the powder room. It was so funny because, you know, it was everybody. It was mm-hmm. everybody. I wasn't just into, like, being the, the trans, hanging out with the gay man, you know. I used to kind of hang out in this lesbian bar called um, Candy Bar. So a mm-hmm. lot of the girls used to come in from Candy Bar. We, we had the butch dykes. We had trans men. We had trans females. I mean, we had the bears. We had just everything up there because my policy was, you know, if you're a nice person, it doesn't make a difference who you are. Just come on down. And the work got around, you know. And also, I used to have a sign in there that said the powder room is a bitch-free zone and all this stuff, you know, which was really cool. And, And campaigns that we did, I always had, you know, like, you know, someone from the lesbian community, someone from, you know, from all different communities to be in the campaigns. I was, I was really like, um, 
pushing, you know, visibility mm-hmm. at a time that I really didn't even realize that it was needed. It was just like, you know, they were not only friends of mine, but I wanted to show that representation mm-hmm. of all avenues of gay life, basically. So, oh, this is what I really loved. Um, I started, like, you know, doing some things for lesbian clubs. So I also used to um, be a stripper at a lesbian lesbian club as well, which was hilarious. My name was Miss Dirty Panties. Hilarious. But (laughs) it was so ridiculous, but I loved it. But I used to do a few campaigns for some of the girl clubs as well. Like Mm -hmm. I did this one campaign where it's all lesbians and um, you have the butch, you have the femme, you know, all this stuff, you know. And I was like, I was like the trendy one, but it was so cool. Do you know what I mean? This was like back in the late... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much. Why why did you get fired from the other place? Oh, my God. I I got fired from the other place because basically they changed owners. And it was time for me to go. Okay, I was, okay. I was, I was ready to grow. Yeah. You know, madam, you know, they, they actually asked me to come back. Well, I was going to say, yeah. they must have seen the success yeah. that you made at Heaven. Yeah, they, all of those yeah, people, yeah. the huge range of people. You know, when you get a new manager, wherever you work, mm-hmm. you get a new manager, they all want to come in and make it their own. Mm-hmm. And I had these utopian ideas that mm-hmm. I took with me to Heaven. So I love to hear the stories from some of the girls. They say, oh, man, when you left, oh, God, mm-hmm. you know, we really wanted you back. But I was, I was You're gone. gone. I was gone because yeah. I could get, you know, I can do whatever I wanted to do and, mm-hmm. and, and not any ha- and have any hassle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really did a lot. Yeah. You might not call yourself the queen of heaven, <laughs> but I can see why everyone else would genuinely. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Miss Kim, Queen of Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> um, Back all right, then, 1945. No, <laughs> all right, uh, I think it's time for us all to grab a drink, freshen up, and we'll see you after the interval. It's the Perfect Podcast. So come on this way, so grab yourself a drink. Oh my God, I can't believe we're going to have a, yeah. a chat in that old smelly old toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I am. What's the best outfit you've worn Woo! to a queer club? 
Oh my god. You know, okay, right. Um, a long time ago, uh, about two or three years ago, I guess that's a long time ago. Um, I I went to this queer club. I can't remember the name of the club I went to, but I wore a fur coat, a fake uh, fur coat that was uh, this pink um, fake stuff, and I had on a pair of uh, knickers that were jeweled. Jeweled knickers. Yeah, jeweled knickers. Oh and I wore all this jewelry around here and oh, no top. Beautiful. Yeah. And no top. And no top. Love it. <laughs> Amazing. Absolutely love it. Okay, next one. Uh, what's your favorite song to sing on stage? Oh, do you know I have lots of favorite songs, but at the moment, I love this song called Hard Hearted Hannah. It is basically about this really strong woman, you know, so I have this thing about uh, strong women, you know, growing up, you know, I was always attracted to strong women, like I loved Wonder Woman, and we had this TV show in America called Get Christy Love, which only lasted a season, but it was this black woman, huge afro, and she was a crime fighter. You, you know, you had um, Cleopatra Jones, you know, uh, the black exploitation. So this was like the television version yeah. of that. So, and her catch line was, watch it, sucker. hi yeah. I love it. I love it. And, and have you always sung? Do you know, I did, but I wasn't one of those um, precocious kids, you know. You know, when I was young, you know, growing up trans, you know, you don't know really what's going on with yourself and you can't really interact with the kids because they don't really understand you and you don't really understand them. So I spent a lot of time in my room, basically, um, listening to like Diana Ross and Donna Summer, but pretending it was me singing. <laughs> and then I sang in church. Um, I, I grew up in this Christian household. Gosh. But I have to say, it wasn't like a really bad Christian household where you gotta go to church and know the Lord this and Lord that because I had this absolutely fantastic great grandmother who um, was the founder of our congregation. And um, she would read the Bible with me. We would read it together. And I would tell her what I thought. And she would say to me, oh, that makes sense. Now, that was very important because I'll never forget, at her funeral, the, the uh, minister said something that was quite misogynist. But he said, um, I never met a woman who knew more about the Bible than a man. Can you believe what? that? I oh was just God. like, are you kidding me? I sat there. Oh I'm like, you really are a dick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. I know. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, next one. If you found 50 pounds on the floor of these very toilets, what would you do? Put with it you? in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> what would you spend it on? probably put it towards my shoe collection. I have a fetish. I love Ooh. shoes. I love my shoes. So 50 pounds straight on the shoes. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, what would you graffiti on this toilet door oh, for my. queers to read in years to come? Okay. Miss Kimberly was a bitch. <laughs> But we loved her. <laughs> Miss Kimberly was a bitch, but we loved her. <laughs> and that's it. Thank Ms. you, Leo. Back to the show. Listen to Liz, listen to Liz, listen to La 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 And welcome back. <laughs> now, whilst Miss Kim is preparing for her performance, I'm going to share with you three hot facts. In 1990, a Mars bar 
would cost around 27p, which is an absolute bargain. Number two, the World Wide Web was coined in 1990, and it was originally called the Mine of Information and the Information Mesh, which sounds a lot more queer to me. I'm just going to log on to the Information Mesh. <laughs> You're like, wow, that was, that's what it could have been. Um, and then my final fact is that the transgender pride flag was created in 1999 by Monica Helms, and the flag was first shown at Pride Parade in Phoenix, Arizona, in 2000. And Jennifer Pelinen created an alternative design in 2002. So that is our trans flag. All of that was created around the time that we're talking about. Uh, so now I think that I've filled enough of that time and I want to now put your hands together. It's Ms. Kimberly and her red dress. <laughs> What a lovely audience. Hello, everybody, way back there. Hello. Hello. Hit it. <laughs> Good times and bum times. I've seen them all, and my dear, I'm still here. Black sable sometimes, sometimes a pride mark that's near. But I'm here. I've stopped cardboard in my shoes. Bit of disco diva, sun the blues. Seen all my dreams disappear. And I'm here. I stayed in hostels, guest of our own HMP. But I'm here. Danced in my panties Three lines of coke Was the pay But I'm here Done unemployment With the best Watch while the headlines Did the rest Got pills for depression Was I depressed Nowhere near I met a big financier so I'm here I gotten through Hey lady, aren't you losing? Wow, what a look at your work I better yet, sorry I thought you were losing Whatever happened to her <laughs> I've been to Reno Brixton and Beverly Hills And I'm here Reefer and Vino Rehab and religion and pills But I'm here I've been to rehab For booze and crack Hopped all my jewelry Bought some back Had heebie-jeebies Cold turkey <laughs> That seems clear Still someone said she's sincere But I'm here Top Billy Monday, Tuesday You're selling your ass But I'm here Brixton Mayfair And Vauxhall is a gas And I'm here Been called a tranny Freakish fool 
your career to career to career to career. I should have gone to the acting school, but I'm here. I gotten through. Hey, lady, aren't you woozy? Wow, what a lucky you were. Or better yet, sorry, I thought you were woozy. Whatever happened to her? Good times and bum times. I've seen them all in my dear. I'm still here. Black sable sometimes. Sometimes a pride mark that's near. But I'm here. I'd run the gamut. A to Z. Three cheers and damn it. I through all the last year and I'm here Lord knows least I was there and I'm here Look who's queer I'm still You know, and, I, and you know, I'm only slightly older. I mean, I'm going to be 30 the next birthday, but <laughs> okay, 32. <laughs> but um, I just wish that you know people could um, get over that because you know, so many people who were around when I was around are not here anymore. Um, either they've passed on, or they just lost the will to continue. So, like, you know, this song talks about, you know, good times and bum times. I mean, I've seen it. I have seen it all, you know. And I sometimes I really look at these youngsters coming up and, whoo, they get a little bit of, um, you know, uh, recognition. But you got to keep it going, babes, because so many come on this scene and they're fabulous for five minutes. And then, you know, hey, I've been here a hundred years and I'm still Fucking rocking it, babes. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. Um, would anyone like to ask Kim or EJ a question? Um, yeah, I guess this, as we're here in the in the RVT, and I know Kim, you've like performed here for many times. I guess how how does it feel to I guess sing that song here and just the kind of reflecting on on all the performances that you've done here over the years? Like, how does it feel to be in this space? You know, I have done so many venues around uh, London, and I have to honestly say, this is one of the better venues to perform in. And I'll tell you why, because here it's giving the queer community something a bit more professional, Mm -hmm. you know, and performing here is good for my soul because it just, 
you know, you have good sound and you、mm. just have everything. And, and the queer community, we deserve that.、Mm-hmm. We really do deserve that. I love that you say it feels good for your soul. Like, I feel that. I feel it in the walls and on the stage and in the lights. It just feels good here. You can almost feel all the people that have been here, like, for so many, well, like 160 years, is it? Like, something like that. I can't remember when it opened. And <laughs> I'm just joking. And, and I think it's also worth remembering that the RVT is a safe space. It's the first grade two listed building that's been listed specifically because of its importance to the LGBTIQA plus community. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Can we have a big round of applause for EJ Scott, please? Thank you. EJ rocks. And can we have a huge. A round of applause for the gorgeous Miss Kimberly and Lula. Thank you. And finally, for Miss Kimberly's red dress. Good night, everyone. Keep it queer. The Perverts Podcast was created by Milk Presents, and I was joined by the wonderful Miss Kimberly and EJ Scott. The Perverts Podcast is produced by She Wants a Dog. Letting podcasts off the lead, and was recorded at the historical and ever gorgeous Royal Vauxhall Tavern. Our sound design is by Ian Armstrong, and the theme music is composed and performed by Sariel Davis. A big thanks to Arts Council England and Derby Theatre for supporting this, and to the Museum of Transology. If you like the Perverts podcast, please do share and shout about it. You might also like a couple of other podcasts produced by She Wants a Dog. Such as a practical guide to death and sick babe, which are both well worth checking out. You can find these and more at shewantsadog.com or follow at shewantsadog. It's the perfect podcast.